while the worship team is transitioning off, let me do a thing I haven't done in a while. You know, we have family moments here every once in a while, and, and, uh, and if, if you're a visitor, you're invited to listen in. Um, but uh, for a while, I told you I was going to um, teach you about the many aspects of how giving affects your spiritual life. And, and I, I did pretty good for a while, and then I, then I got distracted. I am so distractible. It's like I'm really focused, and then squirrel, you know, it's like <clears throat> I'm so ADD. So, it's, so, um, so anyhow, somebody reminded me this week, and I'll, I'll get back on it and, and, and uh, teach you another few weeks until I get distracted again. This is kind of a personal sermon, so let me do a personal illustration when it comes to giving. I was thinking this week why, why Becky and I love to give like we do. And we just, we, it's hilarious for us. I mean, this is so much fun for us. Uh, we would be so sad to be stuck at a tithe, you know. It just, um, we love what we do. And, and I'm trying to figure it out. And part of it is because it's you, because it's family. Because, um, as, I, as you will hear, every church has a different mission. Every church is important and has a different calling from God. It's a different personality. But we're not just a church. We're a church family. And one of the things you do for your family is you prioritize family. Everybody knows that. Some of you, when you were growing up, had a mom or a grandmother that went without so that you could have what you needed. You know, when I was growing up, we were very poor. And my mom, I, every year, you know, I would want her to get a dress. She never got a new dress. But I had a new shirt and a new pair of pants for school every year. Why? Because that's how mamas are. You know, they always put the kids because, and, and, and when our kids, you know, were, were getting college age, we had three boys and we couldn't afford college. We, didn't, we had no, I mean, I'm a preacher for crying out loud, not a very good one at that. So it just wasn't something we'd saved up for. So we just sold our house. We, we'd been paying our house. We'd sold our house, moved into an apartment for seven years. That was a joy to us. We never thought twice about it. Why? Because we wanted them to come to their full potential. Well, the same way, the same thing's true for the church. We, we give, of course we give to God because it's all his anyhow. And of course we do like God says because we want to be obedient. But, but there's an aspect for us that says when we give, you're going to come to your full spiritual potential. And that's more important to us than having money stored up or whatever, whatever else we would do with it. I don't know, we're not sure what we'd do with it. But, but then another thought came to me. Mark McMurray gave me a book, and I, I've got to look at the title again. I've read the book, and I can't remember the title. Uh, but in that, it had the illustration of 1 Kings 17. Remember when Elijah comes to the, uh, the old poor woman uh, with a son, and they're starving to death. They got, they got nothing. And, and she recognizes Elijah right away as a man of God, as a prophet of God. And she says, what, why would a prophet of God come to me? And Elijah says, give me a drink. Remember, years later, Jesus would say the same thing to the woman at the well. Give me a drink. Well, she gave him some water, and then she, he said, give me some bread. And she said, well, I got to tell you, all I got left is this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil. And I was just going to prepare it for my son and myself. And we were going to eat it. And then we were just going to die because there ain't any more. And Eliza essentially said, well, okay, you can do that. But 
Give me the first part of it. And when you do that, let me tell you what's going to happen. That flower is never going to run out. And that oil will never cease to flow. And she trusted him. And she did it. Now, with any regular giving talk, it would end there. And I, like any preacher, would say to you, so God will always supply your needs. That's because God will always supply your needs according to his riches and glory. That's what it tells us. But I want you to remember what happened right after Elijah went to that woman. When Elijah left there, he went to face the prophets of Baal. 400 prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal were those who worshiped the cultural gods. And so it was just him worshiping the true God against the attack of the prophets of Baal who worshiped the false gods. When we give, God does something special with this church that goes against the cultural gods of our age. We just had three remarkable events here, three national events. They came and asked us if we could have these. The first one was an event about racism. You know, there's a cultural God of prejudice. We are afraid or feel divided or suspicious of people who are different than we are. And there's, there is systemic racism, not just black, white, all kinds of different categories. And that is a cultural God. It's a false God that we have. That's a, that's a bail. And then a couple of weeks later, we had a traffic, a, 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 a seminar, 300 or 430 delegates from 34 states combating juvenile sex trafficking. There's a cultural God of lust in this culture. There is a false Baal God of, of hypersexualization, so much so that our children are being attacked. And then last week, one on violence gun violence to be specific, but there's a, there's a God of violence in our culture, a trend, a temptation to be violent toward one another. And so when we give, what is in my mind is that we're not just taking care of one another. We're standing up for the true God against the cultural gods, and we will break them because the true God has all the power. But it's wonderful to know that I'm giving to a church family that is gonna change this world. And so we have fun doing that. And so I just would ask you to consider that in your own life and remember those two thoughts so that as you give, it's not just doing the right thing, it's giving to family and it's giving to make a different world to make the world we have very different. Now let me tell you what we're gonna do with the rest of our time here. For the next, for the coming months, I wanna talk about how important the church is to you. 
and how important you are to the church. Let me put this in a context because we've been leading up to this. You know, God has a plan for us and, and I've been kind of unfolding that plan, the administration of the ages. I started out by saying, every one of you, each one of you, no matter where you are in the world right now, was specifically made by God, knit together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And your days were ordained when there was not as you, yet one of them. There was always a plan for your life. Most of you have, uh, haven't a clue as to what that plan is. But you would like to know, why was I made like I was? Why have I been through what I have? What is there left for me to do? And as we said, Easter evening was as, was as important as Easter Sunday morning because Jesus came back and bestowed upon his church the gifts. When he breathed the Holy Spirit, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And in each one of, he, uh, of us, he deposited all of the power we would need to fulfill the role he had for us. Here's the catch. You can't discover them by yourself. It takes a community of other believers that will need you and you will need because these gifts go together with gifts other people have. That's how he constructed it. That's how he designed it. So what's that community called? That'd be the church. And not just the church, but the personal churches that we're gonna see God develop here. We will always be the church. But we're going from one church of 20,000 to 1,000 churches of 20. Because people need to know who you are. And you need to know who they are in order to call out of them the gifts that God has put into them that they'll, will not, they'll never see by themselves. And they'll call them out of you in ways you'll never see it in yourself. So let's start with a plan, okay? We're gonna be talking about this for months. Keep coming back, because you can't get just a snippet. Keep coming back. When Jesus first announced his vision of the church, he went to his disciples and he said, who do you, and I think I have this, Kristen, I've got this right. Who, Kristen, do y'all, is that, is that, do y'all, is that the signal? Is that the sign? Is that the sign, y'all? Okay, oh, y'all, okay, y'all, okay. Who, who do y'all? No, we just sang that one song. Everybody. Oh, that was everybody. That was, every, that was a sign for everybody. Okay. Well, who do y'all say that I am? Because that you is plural. It wasn't just a Peter. And Peter speaks up, of course, on behalf of the group. And it says in Matthew 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I also say to you that you are Peter. This is Jesus talking now. And upon this rock, upon this confession you've just made, on behalf of everybody, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what does the church look like as he designed it? Well, we have a glimpse of it. Because you can go to the end of the book, Revelation. And you can see that the church is just what he has always made, a community for himself to dwell among. A community that is together. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, 
and I saw, this is the eschaton, these are the end times, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, I want you to remember that, that, that word, adorned for her husband. And then he says the same thing in four different ways. Look at this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, number one, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Number two, and he will dwell among them. Number three, and he shall be, they shall be his people. Number four, God himself will be among them. Basically, what God says is, this is about us all being together so that each of us can fulfill our role. I want you to remember the word bride. Do you know how in the old days, how people got married? I mean, as in the old days, as in old Judaism, when, when, when in Jesus' time? You know, in the, only in the last couple of hundred years has marriage been related to romance at all. That is a very recent, historically recent dynamic. I can trace it back for you. I've studied this in history. But be all, for all time, marriage was about the community. It was about the family. It was about all of us doing life together. And marriage was a part of that. And so, in the old days, a young man would look for a possible bride. And when he saw someone who was a likely candidate, or more likely he wouldn't look, his family would look. And the families would get together. And then the young man would go to the bride's father and offer a bridal price. Now you know the price of Jesus, the price Jesus paid for his bride. It was his entire life. But he would go to the bride's father and said, I, I want to marry your daughter. Remember now, we're the bride of Christ. I want to marry your daughter. This is my price. If the father accepted him, and that's got to pass by the father, of course, he would set a cup before the girl who was the potential bride. If she accepted the offer, if she accepted the person, she took from the cup and drank. Do you realize every time we take communion, it is not merely or only a commemoration of Passover. It is the bride taking the cup, saying, Jesus, is my husband. So then it would proceed that if she drank that cup, he would go away. They wouldn't, they wouldn't plan on the wedding. They didn't know when the wedding was going to happen because he had to do something before the wedding. He had to go build her a place where they could live. It was a bridal chamber or in biblical language, a mansion. And, 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 and they didn't know when he was coming back. Remember, the, 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 the words we say from Scripture are usually having to do with funerals in John chapter 4. Jesus say, I go away to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's not a funeral scripture. That's a wedding scripture. That's in, in Matthew 25, where the 10 virgins are wait, waiting, you know, for the, for the, bridal, for the bridegroom's return. And, and half of them didn't have enough oil. Why? Because they didn't know when he was coming back. But when he got done, he would come back. And he would receive the bride. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, this is only in terms of people who are getting married. He's just talking about the community of people. Get no, this is the whole community. As a matter of fact, one of the scriptures that is used in the wedding most often isn't about a husband and wife at all. It's about a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. You know the scripture I'm talking about. It's from Ruth chapter 1. Where, where Ruth is, or Naomi's trying to get Ruth to leave for her own good because she wants her to be able to get a husband. And, and Ruth said, no, we're together in this no matter what. And it says in Ruth chapter 1, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die... I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, or worse, if anything but death parts you and me. What is God's ideal for us all? It's to stick together through thick and thin. That's not just for marriage. That's for a community. Because in that... He will spiritually transform us. I was with a group. Uh, there's a group of the spirit, well, the, basically the spiritual fathers of the city. And we get together um, at least once a month to pray for Orlando, for the Orlando area. And Bishop Wiggins said something this week. We were just together this week. And he said something that I hadn't really thought about. And it was, we were talking about changing roles, but never changing nature. You know, you can call yourself by a new name, but you don't, you don't quite change nature. And he said this. He said, transformation without spiritual reformation is mere decoration. I love that. Transformation, in other words, going into something else without inner spiritual reformation is mere decoration. It made me think of weddings. And how many people think weddings are about the event and not about the relationship? And how, how they, everything is so important on if everything goes right this one time. Instead of our whole life being transformed by being with another person. You know, have you ever, I, 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 if, if you're about to get married, please don't be disheartened here. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, weddings these days have, are so detailed and so extravagant. And it's like, what are we doing? Have you ever, I, a long time ago, I picked up a modern bride magazine. Have you ever seen one of those? Holy cow. First of all, you get a hernia picking them up. You, get, you need a forklift. It's like 500 pages. 
And, I, and at that time, I was doing a lot of weddings. I, I love to do weddings. I can't do them anymore because I, I'm kind of on call. I don't know where I'm going to be. But, but, but I used to love to do weddings and did a lot of premarital counseling. And I picked up one of those. I thought, maybe, maybe it would be something here that helped me with premarital counseling. Know, know what people are thinking. It was like, it was 500 pages of accoutrements. It was like 39 hot spots for a honeymoon. 200 delicious cake tastes, you know. 39,000 dress design, all just stuff that weighs us down and stunts our relationship. How many of us think that church is that? Church is basically just events and it's how the events go. And it's not really about the relationships. It's just the opposite. You know, the only time my wife ever snapped at me in our entire relationship was the night before our wedding. It scared the bejeebers out of me. It really did. Here's this nice, wonderful, helpful person. And she had kept coming to me and, and, and saying, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And she's trying to get ready. You know, all these relatives are coming in. And all, what do you think about this? And I, I was just thinking, typical man, boy, we don't have a clue. Because I would go, I don't care. And I thought that was helpful. You know, because a man thinks different. A man thinks, well, just give me permission, I'll get it done. I just want to know if it's okay if I get it done, you know. That's, that's what I was thinking. But all the time, unbeknownst to me, I was loading the entire ceremony on her shoulders and making her carry it alone. And so the night before our wedding, all of these relatives are in the house and <clears throat> all my buddies had come in and we wanted to go out and catch up and and so I went into back. I said, hey, we're going to go catch up. Is that okay? Fine. <laughs> I'd never heard her say, just go on. I'll take care of. I'm thinking to myself, oh, no. I'm marrying the devil. I didn't. I didn't know. And it dawned on me, good grief, she's been bearing all this pressure. See, here's how a woman thinks. Let's do it together. I just want you in it with me. I don't care what the decision is. I want to make sure you're in this with me. That's what the bride of Christ is about. We, we need to do it together. This isn't about going out and be a Christian. Tell me what you need. This is about withness, the withness of God. In John 17, in the prayer of Jesus, it, 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 it talks about, it, 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 there are several verses, just starting in verse two, I'll just read several. This is, the, this is the earthly prayer. This is, this is the real Lord's Prayer. We say the Lord's Prayer is our Father. But the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus prayed to the Father, that, that we might be one. How does he do that? How do we become one? Because he keeps saying, in, like in verse 2, to all whom you have given me. And then in verse 6, they were yours, you gave them to me. And then in verse 9, it says, you have given me for they are yours. 
And then in verse 11, it says, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are. And verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How, how, how do we go together? How do we grow together? How do we become an us? We do the word. You know, my sister and her husband just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Their entire courtship as an engaged couple, they were like 3,000 miles away from each other. He was a Marine, he was in the service. And their entire courtship was through letters. Can you imagine that? That's all they had, that's back in the day. When all you had was paper and pencil or pen. And I remember her just yearning to get a letter and she would get that letter and she would pour over that letter and she would read it 20 times and she'd wonder every little nuance of that letter. Trying to figure out more of who he was, why? So she could fit herself to him when he came back for her. And he was doing the same thing on the other end. How do we grow together? The word. We get fitted or sanctified by walking through the word together, by pouring through the word together, by fitting ourselves the best we can to the one who wrote us this love letter, this word. And in order to do that, we have to understand the spiritual reality that as much as we are becoming one, spiritually, we already are one. When I say this is our church family, I mean this is our church family. God sees us as a family. Whether or not you have connected personally yet, and that's what we hope you will do if you're not connected personally yet. God sees us as a family. We need to see ourselves as indivisible. Why? Because that's who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, indivisible. He created us in His image. He wants us to be indivisible. Do you remember the original marriage pageant when God brought Eve to the man? Remember what it said? Remember, he, made, made, he said, I'll make you a helper, suitable, one who will answer you back. That's literally what the, what the word means. And he went through all of the, trying to, she was, he was trying to find a date among the animals, but there was not found a helper suitable for him. And then the Bible says, so God brought her, look at the father with the bride, brought her to the man. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, then the man said, and I wish I could translate in Hebrew, this is an exclamation. It's like bingo. It's like finally, it's like, yeah. But he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In other words, that's the other part of me. I can never be divided again. That's the other part of me. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I'll come back to that sentence in a minute. But do you realize what this means? I'm not alone. You're the other part of me. I can't think of my own life without thinking about you. I don't. Because you are part of me. We are indivisible. And what that means is I will be shaped toward a future with God, with you, because that's his plan. Now, when we talk about the future, you know, there's that line in there. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be cleaved. Well, if you read that literally, he didn't have a father and mother. God made him out of the dust. Where'd that language come from? I want you to understand something very important. When God sees you, he sees the future. He doesn't just see where you are right now. He is fitting you. He is fitting us all together for the future. Because he didn't make you just to negotiate the day-to-day activities of your life. He made you to shape the future. That's why it takes a vision in order to make decisions now. It says in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, it will come about that after this I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. What's the effect of the spirit? You look at the future. You see what God is making. You see what you're going to become. And your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. You will never have a coherent life until we look at our future together and you know what your part of it is of it. That's, that's the deal. You know, when, I was, when we were raising the, our sons, we had three sons, all of them strong-willed. You would think out of three kids, we'd have one compliant kid, one passive none. So you can, you can, you can just estimate the level of conflict and argument in our, in our house. It was constant. Now I gotta tell you this, that was okay with us. Because when people are arguing, at least they're, they're, they're learning how to think. They're learning how to negotiate. They're learning, well, maybe somebody has a better idea than I do. And so we always let those arguments go on until a very clear point of diminishing return. I want you to listen to this. There came a point in every one of those arguments where we had to step in and we had to say, nope, this is done for now. And that was a very clear line when the argument turned from idea to personal attack. As soon as it turned to personal attack, we stepped in and we said, we don't do that in this family because we're not raising people who will personally attack other people. We're raising people who can think, who can negotiate, but not personally attack. How did we raise our kids? Toward an understanding what we wanted them to be in the future, knowing what God wanted them to be in the future. Becky and I, from the time we were young, always talked about what it would be like when we got old. What would it be like to grow old together? Well, guess what? (laughs) You know, this isn't a surprise. But just last week, we got a guy, you know, I'm, I'm, I just turned 68, and you don't even think of, 
you know, when you start getting like pension stuff, mandatory, you know, all that, you don't, you don't think of this. So I thought, well, we probably ought to think about this. So let's sit down with a guy who knows about this stuff. So we got a guy who we trust. He's a really great guy. And, 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 and this is really, you know, if you're going to do this, then you got to start this now. You got to plan this now. One of the first questions he asked, he said, he said, he said okay, so do you want insurance that will provide you with in-home care at the end of your life, or do you want to move into a home? I'm thinking, I'm 68. I'm in the best shape of my life. He said, I get that, but you understand, in order to have this insurance, you've got to start it now. Because when you get older, you can't have it. You understand that in order to have a maximum impact, the kind of future you want, you've got to start that now. You can't wait for the future. You got to start it now. And so that's what we're going to be doing in these next few months. We're going to be talking about how God is knitting us together. This is what it says in Ephesians. It says in Ephesians 2.22, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What's the purpose? Because there are generations of faith that will come forth from you. I know people want Jesus to come back right away. Me too. There are parts of me say, Maranatha, Lord, <laughs> anytime. But I also know I want everybody in this world to have a chance to hear about Jesus Christ who died for them. And that's going to take a minute. It would, be it would be selfish of me to want to go to heaven just because I know I'm going there. I want them to be able to hear. So this may take a while. And as it takes a while, there's going to be generations of faith come out of you. This is what it says when, when Paul wrote Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus. This is what he said, 2 Timothy 1.5, For I am mindful of sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. You have a spiritual family that will be your descendants. And they may or may not know where they got the qualities, but God is working them in you right now. Let me just tell you a short story to close this. I, it was a day that changed my whole life. I'm going to tell you about it. <clears throat> Many of you know that my father died when I was four years old. My mother was crazy nuts in love with that man. <laughs> she never got over it. She went on with her life, but she never got over it. I always wondered, you know, you're a four-year-old boy. You got a mom and a sister, but you wonder how life would have been different if you had your dad. What would he have given you? What would he have taught me? How would he have been in my life? in a way that would never happen now. And so I always missed my dad. One day, 
I was walking home from football practice. Walked the same way every day, up Main Street, past this one lady's house who was kind of the town historian. Her name was Mrs. Hanno. I'll never forget her. She was about 500 years old. <laughs> and she'd watched everybody in that town grow up. I mean, she knew everybody. And every time you passed her house, if she was sitting on the porch, she'd call you up and you had to go up because she was your elder. And back then you respected your elders. And so I was just thinking, oh Lord, you know, I, did, I didn't have very good practice. You know, my life was football back at that time. And, and I was just kind of in a bad mood. I was worn out and I was sweaty and I just want to go home. And I just said, oh Lord, don't let her be out there. Cause every time I went, every time I went, she'd say, Joey, Joey Hunter, come up here, boy. And I'd go up because she was my elder and she'd say, did you, you know your uncle Walt, there was a third cousin removed who had a mole right here. I just didn't want to hear it. Nothing's more boring to a kid than hearing that. Sure enough, here I go past the porch. Sure enough, there she is. Joey, Joey Hunter, come up here, son. So I dragged my sorry equipment up there. Her first sentence got my full attention. She said, you never knew your father, did you? I said, no, ma'am. She said, I did. I watched him grow up just like I'm watching you grow up. She said, I want to tell you about him. She said, he was a wonderful man. He was so responsible. He was so dignified. He was some that, someone that everybody could depend upon. And boy, did he love your mom. And did she love him. And then she said something that changed my whole life. She said, Joey, <clears throat> I can never look at you, but what I don't see your dad. She said, you walk the way he walked. She said, you lean on one leg like he leaned on one leg. You laugh, you have his laugh and bless your heart. You try not to look bored just like he did. And I knew that I hadn't lost my dad. My dad was inside of me. But it took someone else to tell me that. It took my community to tell me that. I want you to keep coming back so we can tell you how your dad's inside of you. Would you stand and let me pray for us? Lord, thank you for your vision of the church and how each of us is not only important but needed. 
and how we all have a mission to make this world a different place, a better place, or we wouldn't still be here. So we give ourselves to you again. Jesus, we drink the cup. We want to be your bride. We want you to live among us and help us to be more like you. In your name we pray, amen.